Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And today we are talking about writing for TV comedy and being a stand-up comedian with a very special guest. And we're joined by Sharla Larston, who's written for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, People of Earth, Ghosted, and the upcoming Hoops on Netflix. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. And uh, let's get started. So first up, uh, where are you from originally and how did you end up in the industry and in L.A.? Oh, man, really long story. (laughs) Uh, I was born in Haiti and I came to America when I was four years old. So that's where I'm from. I mostly grew up in Florida, in Massachusetts. A lot of Haitians live in those places. Um, And then when I graduated from college, I moved to New York, where my career kind of started. Um, I moved to New York from Boston after college, because I was just super bored (laughs) of Boston. (laughs) And I'd always kind of dreamed of living in New York, but I had no family there and no reason to go. (laughs) So I just, I had kind of a quarter life crisis around 23, 24. And I realized that if I was ever going to go to New York, it was going to be right now. I didn't have any kids. I still don't. (laughs) And I didn't, I wasn't in a relationship. There was really no reason. And I, didn't really like my job. Like I was working at Boston University, perfectly nice job, perfectly fine people, but I was super bored. And I was like, I I don't think I'm living my life to the fullest. I don't feel like I'm making um, the best of my life. So I really was like, I'm going to do the scary thing. And I'm going to move to this place that I randomly dream of living in (laughs) for no reason, (laughs) except for I just feel like it. So we've both been there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I quit my job and then I kind of crashed with my sister in DC for a little bit. I'm Haitian and I couldn't just like moved to New York for a lot of reasons. I don't, I feel like I can't like explain that right now, but if you're a immigrant woman (laughs) growing up with like strict parents, then it's kind of tough to just be free basically. So I lived with my sister for um, a few months for like three months while I applied for jobs in New York. And I thought that this was like a good transition. I didn't want to, I didn't want to give myself any excuse not to do it or to chicken out. So it was just like for the more motion, the better. So I started applying for jobs in New York and I finally got one and I moved there literally over a weekend (laughs) with my (laughs) Prius. I put all my stuff in my Prius and I moved (laughs) and I started working at Senator Gillibrand's office. That was the job that I got as a staff assistant, basically a lackey, (laughs) Uh, just a, a paper pusher, a phone answerer, you know, copy machine fixer. <laughs> like, that's what I did at that office. Not super important, but also kind of really important. <laughs> like <laughs> Good preparation for Hollywood. Yeah, it really, yeah. I actually think, yeah, it is. That was a really great job for a lot of reasons. It was really tough. It was really challenging. New York City was really challenging mm-hmm. and invigorating and scary and great and i cried a lot on the subway (laughs) and lonely it sounds like half the people in new york yeah Yeah. pretty much i remember that time so fondly like i've only lived in la for like three years so i feel like that time is still very i'm so glad i did it i'm so glad i i went and i that didn't even tell you the story of how i started with comedy i'd never done comedy before i'd never done stand-up before i'd never been much of a performer Um, except for a singer I sang in the choir from the time I could speak (laughs) and so I've always done that but comedy just was a twinkle in my I really truly was just like a thing that I had in the back of my head that I wanted to try I actually have a comedy album coming out 
pretty soon. And I do tell a story about my first open mic and talking about how I basically just wanted to do comedy, but it was something that I would never say to anyone out loud because I thought people would, you know, make fun of me like they would or should. I found a random open mic <laughs> in mm-hmm. Harlem where I lived and I, you know, I sat in the back for a couple of months and then I, I wrote a joke and I tried my first joke. And then I think that was in 2011. So here I am now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what were some of your inspirations, whether with uh, comedians or TV and film? I'm still and was a giant fan of Eddie Murphy. You know, like Eddie Murphy was someone I, before I ever knew what comedy was or stand up in particular was, like Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. Like I used to watch Martin a lot. I used to watch Coming to America. I think I've watched that movie a hundred times. <laughs> like I've watched that movie so many times. I'm pretty sure they're doing a re- they're definitely yeah, doing a remake. Yeah, I'm, re- yeah. I'm really nervous. Yeah, I'm really nervous year. because <laughs> I don't know if anything will ever live up to the first one. Yeah, I, I think those two guys, um, Whoopi Goldberg was also a huge influence on me. I, I thought she was uh, such an anomaly. She, I, there was just no one else like her on television, and she was so she drew people in in a way that I thought was so magnetic and special. And effortless on her part. I'd never seen a movie star that looked like her. You know, Whoopi Goldberg was freaking amazing to me. (laughs) So many people. I feel like I could go on and on. Like, not (laughs) even these, like, uh, legends. Like, to me, like, the Friends cast and the Mm -hmm. Office cast. Like, these are some of the best comedians and these days, I my comedy, uh, you know, my comedy taste is much more particular and refined. I, I guess you would say, but maybe not. I mean, I still think <laughs> I still think Shrek is like the best movie <laughs> of the Shrek last. Shrek one or Shrek two? Both. Both, yes, sir. <laughs> Both excellent films. Yeah. Did you uh, get your first industry job while you were still in New York, or did you I come did. to LA? Okay. Yeah, I got my first industry job. So I, um, in 2015, I think it was 2015. I I really a web series or maybe it was 2014 it was one of those two years (laughs) i released a web series i did a lot of showcases i was really hustling i did some comedy festivals and i got um an email randomly from tina fey's production company asking me to submit a script for a job (laughs) and uh I literally had just got my first manager. Like we hadn't even met in person yet at the time. We'd only been talking on the phone and they emailed me directly. It was because I, I literally was barely repped at the time. And, um, they had seen my web series and they liked it. So had the manager that reached out to me. She had also seen my web series and liked it. They asked me to turn in this script you know, it was like a Friday and they asked me to turn in the script on a Monday <laughs> and I had, I was completely unprepared, um, which is my MO. I didn't have a <laughs> script and I hadn't at that point written a full length script yet. So I literally banged out a script. It was like a pilot version of my web series in a weekend. And I submitted that and I was like, well, <laughs> I gave it my best shot. <laughs> I, I turned it in on Sunday, and then a couple of hours later, I got another email asking to come in for an interview. And I was just like, well, I'm going to give it my best shot. <laughs> I'm going to do my best at this interview. So my first writing job ended up being Kimmy Schmidt in Brooklyn. And it, so that was cool. It was in Brooklyn. Wow. I didn't have to leave New York for it. And then I've never gotten another job in New York. 
<laughs> so I have had to move to LA. So the lesson is fake it till we make it every time. 100% for <laughs> everything. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, you being a stand-up comic. Can you walk us through sort of your own running process, coming mm-hmm. up with jokes? How does that work for you? So I'm, honestly, you know what? I'm going to be really honest with myself because I'm actually having a, a real moment right now with stand-up, especially with the album coming out. I don't, I don't think... So like this album was the first time that I had attempted... I had never done an hour before I tried to do this album. And I have to really give a shout out to my husband because my husband's like a real tyrant. I don't know what else. <laughs> He's a fan of my comedy and like this has turned him into some sort of like tyrant who's like demanded an album. I was making a lot of excuses. I was like, I'm writing on shows and I'm like having to like learn how to write because I'm really, I really wasn't a writer yet. I wouldn't even call myself a writer yet. I, I wouldn't call myself a writer until about uh last year because it has taken me that long to become one it's it's just a a craft and a skill that i didn't have yet and i was faking it till i made it you know but it it just you know you can only do that so much and at some point you have to actually like be a good writer and like (laughs) show it you know and like have ideas and you know things like that so i was really focusing on that and stand-up kind of took a back seat i think that writing this album has been it's been a labor in a way that I don't know why <laughs> I didn't anticipate and didn't expect. It gives me so much more respect for people who have done hours and the people who do hours consistently mm. and the people who are just good at the craft. And it, like, I think my process has always been to just randomly, like if an idea pops into my head, I write it down and then I try it and then I, you know, I write it out, I flesh it out. But more and more, it's been, you know, you can't wait for flashes of inspiration. And and Seinfeld talks about this all the time. He He's one of those comics that talks about consistently writing every day. And I don't write every day as far as stand-up. And I didn't write every day as far as script writing. Um, and both of those things I had to reckon with, basically. <laughs> like, you, you kind of have to reckon with the time you didn't put in when you have to perform and show this last year at least has been me basically reckoning with the work I didn't do. (laughs) So Mm. I've learned a lot of hard lessons this year about consistency and effort. And I think what it is, is that like, I come from a very professional background, you know, like I talk about this in my album, like being Haitian and being an immigrant and how comedy and performing arts aren't ever seen as serious, you know, work. But it's so much work. (laughs) It's so much work. And there are no hours. You know, it's like 24-7. There are no hours. It's so much work. And it's made me, frankly, respect it even more. It's not that I didn't think that it was work. But it's consistently more work than I ever thought it was going to be. It, like, Mm. requires the most focused. It requires hours (laughs) and time and focus and energy and shutting out the world. And I can't be on my phone. I can't be on Instagram. I got to work on this thing because it's not going to be something that I just churn out overnight because whenever that happens, it's it's half-assed. It's Mm -hmm. not good. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not proud of it. And then I'm upset with myself because I should have put in the time and I didn't. But that's a really long answer for... (laughs) my writing process is just like uh, uh, if I'm being good about it then I'm going out to shows and I'm writing 
while I'm watching shows and I'm performing as much as I can. The truth is like, at least for me, I've had to become someone who does it consistently, who writes consistently and who goes out and does it because that's how I write the best, which is actually, literally when I go out and watch a show, I'm thinking of a joke. Like there's no better inspiration than watching a show live I prefer. If I can't go out for some reason or if I don't feel like going out, I'll watch a special. But definitely going out and watching a show live and having my notebook and writing it down and then going up and trying it. It's just that mileage on the stage, man. You just got to get up there. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you go about crafting like a full hour of comedy as opposed to like a five minute set? Like other kind of like structural things you're looking at in the way that like writing a pilot or a feature, like how does that work? Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's what I mean about how hard it is, like how much respect it is because a joke or a five minute set, like five minutes on, you know, my hair or five (laughs) minutes on boobs. Like I, I have some jokes about my boobs or whatever. It's just like, You can do five minutes on anything, I think, but like crafting an hour on anything is arduous. And I, and I, I did make a point of wanting to make this album kind of an introduction to me as a person and to my history. So I talk a lot about being Haitian and what that was like growing up and things like that. And it's also the kind of comedy that I think is timeless that you can listen to forever that, but man, yeah, (laughs) it is a different beast because you do want it to feel like a piece, you know, like one piece. And so (laughs) that's a tired sigh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is very much, I think like writing, um, uh, a script like writing one like writing a movie or or, or writing a really funny movie and, and to that point uh, are there any skills that you've learned through doing stand-up and improv that yeah. you've translated into the room or your own scripts yeah i think improv has been one of the most if not the most important thing that i've done as a performer as a comedian as a writer Improv teaches you as a performer to command the stage, to command the presence, to be present and in the moment and not off in your head. You can't be off in your head thinking about stuff. And that's how you react honestly to the audience, how you engage the audience, them feeling like you're fully there and engaged, not checked out and not just like reciting something Uh, It might as well be a recording if that's the case, you know, it's spur of the moment, that feeling that they're watching something live, a person, you know, so that all those things I think improv brings to performance. But then when you're writing, um, I think you, you do have to be in your head and you do have to be off somewhere and you can't censor yourself and you can't edit yourself. And these are the things that improv makes you comfortable with, like letting you make connections that you might not have made otherwise. Like improv is really good for that. But then I also think that being in the writer's room is a completely different skill set from improv at all. Being in the writer's room is a completely different skill set from writing. <laughs> like, right, yes. like being in the writer's room is nothing <laughs> like writing. And if anything, being in the writer's room is way more like performing than it is like writing knowing how to pitch an idea like the best pitches are good jokes you know like a well-crafted joke is a better pitch than a meandery idea that you just that you would be better off saying in your own head you know being in a writer's room requires not being nervous (laughs) 
<laughs> like I'm mm-hmm. a I'm a very nervous person and it takes me a really long time to get comfortable and improv is the same way. I would definitely say that like being in a writer's room is much more like performance than it is like actually writing. Mm-hmm. Like if you're an improviser, it's good because, you know, you, you're taught group mind, you're taught listening and reacting, you're taught you're taught to build on other people's ideas. It's very much a team effort when you're in a writer's room. You do have to feel comfortable with these people because you don't want to be censored. You don't want to be too scared. One of the first things, if you're, at a, if you're a UCB student learning improv, one of the first things you learn is don't think and to tell the truth. <laughs> and those are still, after all these years, the two things that I think I probably use the most in the writer's room. Don't think and tell the truth because those things are always funny. Those things are always off the cuff. Those things always play really well in a table read. You know, like those things come across very natural on TV. Like that's what makes things funny. So improv is fundamental. I would say that people should do it no matter what. On that note of pitching in the room, how do you gauge what idea is worth pitching and at what point is it well enough formulated in your head to act on it? Yeah, I think you shouldn't be gauging that's not something you should be doing at all. If an idea, if you if you blurt out an idea and it's really bad, you know, the best thing to do is be like, forget it. Don't don't even that was a bad idea. Or if you are not confident and it's not well formulated in your head, you can start with this is a really bad idea, but here. <laughs> but you shouldn't be gauging at all because just like improv, I think When you censor yourself and when you don't offer up an idea, that means that there's this blank space there. You know, like if you've ever seen an improv scene, like the more you contribute, the more we have to build on. So we have nothing, right? So it's like we have nothing. We're just out there by ourselves with nothing but our ideas. And it's the same in a writer's room. And it's like even if you give a really bad pitch that you thought was going to be really bad, I promise you someone will piggyback off that and they'll be like well you know if we don't it's it's similar to that here's this you know like everything is valuable even a really bad idea which is why you should never be gauging so it feels like you're obviously pretty comfortable in the room now but think back to your first day in the writer's room for for kimmy schmidt how what was that like and how was it different how did you kind of learn how to settle into that environment i don't have to think back much it was like super (laughs) recent (laughs) i've only been in writer's rooms for four or five years at this point. And I just am now just feeling like I'm not a baby writer. The first writer's room, Kimmy Schmidt, was really tough because, again, I was unprepared. I didn't know I was going to be a TV writer. <laughs> I didn't know that that's what I was going to do. I was just going with my passions, with my gut, with what I liked. I didn't have any sense of the entertainment industry. Like, I feel like a, this was my big... This was something that I was really at a disadvantage when I first came in was like a lot of the people that I was in improv classes with that I was doing stand up with, like they had some they had they they knew like that they had to have spec scripts and that they had to like they understood like they wanted to get into this industry and they really understood it in a way that I just didn't like I truly did not understand the latter, you know, like I understood it for the it I, I want to stop, you know, differentiating because I used to be like the the difference between the professional world and the writer world or like the performance world. They're very similar, you know, like how you climb the ladder 
in Hollywood is the same as how you would climb the ladder in any industry, which is to be ambitious and is to try your hardest and is to set big goals. And for some reason, I just, and it's because of my upbringing. It's because I just didn't see myself as, I, I saw this world as very separate and very playful and very indulgent when it, when the truth is it is just as hard <laughs> it requires just as much hard work just as long hours as any kind of profession like if you were a banker if you were a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer you know like if anything the best thing that i've learned from this industry is that it's not a playground <laughs> it's a real job and it requires real work so the first writer's room that i was in i was horribly unprepared in terms of my mindset, in terms of understanding what was required of me. I didn't know what my job was. I didn't, and I didn't understand that the job of being in a writer's room and the job of being a writer and a performer are two very different jobs. Yeah, (laughs) just was horribly unprepared. Like that room also had super long hours. I was not prepared for that. That room was tough in terms of interpersonal relationships because There's a culture in some writer's rooms that are just different. Some writer's rooms are like super friendly and everyone's really nice and people get off at a certain time to go see their families and some writer's rooms don't. I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know that my job was basically to learn the language of the showrunner. That's basically my job and the show creator and to, to as much as possible help them build the world that they see, you know, and contribute as much as possible. I was very quiet in my first writer's room because I was very nervous and scared and I'm, I can be a very quiet person when I am. I'm also very introverted and, um, yeah, that doesn't work well in a writer's room because you're there for your point of view. You're there for your mind. You're there for your ideas. So being quiet isn't great. I wish I had talked to someone about that when I first started, because even if it wasn't the best place, I think I put myself at a disadvantage from what I could have learned. If I had been less quiet, you know, I don't blame myself much. I just like, if I could look back and change anything, I would have changed the way that I reacted to some of the things that I didn't like about those first experiences. But I also was just so inexperienced and I truly did not know (laughs) what was going on. (laughs) And can you walk us through that process of getting that first script, especially Mm -hmm. presumably you had only written one, maybe Mm -hmm. a couple of scripts up until that point. How was that process? Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you walk us through your own writing process on Kimmy Schmidt, your first uh, produced episode? I did not get an episode on Kimmy Schmidt. Um, That was, again, it was a, it was a really tough room for a lot of reasons. (laughs) And I didn't get my first script until I was on People of Earth. I mean, I did get sketches. The second show I was on was Why with Hannibal. It was a sketch show on Comedy Central. My first produced script was on People of Earth. And that one was, again, it was rough (laughs) because I had to do an outline. I had never done an outline. This is really bad, guys. (laughs) This is really bad. I'd never done an outline. And, you know, no one, again, unprepared, you know, like, (laughs) could have just asked someone, you know. And I remember I turned in my outline and I think it was five pages really bad. And, you know, the, av- the a good outline for a half hour script is about eight to ten. So any more than eight to ten and it's a it's going to be a super long script and probably bloated and probably needs some trims. But it's always better to be long than short and you can always trim and it's harder to create if you are short. So yeah, that was embarrassing. So much, a lot of failure on my part. I failed a lot and it's been very helpful, but it's been a lot of failure. (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, my first outline was short, and then my first produced script was it was it was okay. It was okay. The outline was strong that I eventually did. It was strong enough to go to script. And then the thing that I turned in, what it lacked was skill. What it lacked was ease. You know, it lacked practice. Like you could tell in my writing that I hadn't been reading enough scripts and that I hadn't been writing enough scripts. So that has changed, of course. And of course, I've learned that from those failures that I should be reading scripts all the time, that I should be writing all the time. I wasn't doing that and I didn't know that. So, and that first script showed that. And so that first script had to be rewritten in the room. It wasn't like a giant rewrite, but it was enough that... It was enough. It was a it was a lot of rewriting in the room. But it was a really supportive room. I really liked that experience working at People of Earth. I worked with really good writers. I learned a lot from them and I got to contribute a lot and that was that was really fun. So from more of sort of a career or business perspective, after that first job, how do you go about finding the second job because I know that's very difficult for some people going to the next one and the one after that. Yeah. Again, that was something I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't realize <laughs> that I would have to be hustling and getting my own jobs because I think I had this assumption that now that I have representatives, they're going to be doing everything for me. And I kind of like sat on my haunches and I kind of chilled, basically. I had also been hustling for the last five years, like not sleeping, like working full time and doing comedy at night and writing and making a web series and doing stand up. Like it was just a lot. And I was tired. <laughs> and I thought, who finally I can like hand the reins over to someone and they can handle my career for me. And that, of course, is not what happened. I didn't have a job after Kimmy Schmidt, I think, for eight months. I was scared. I didn't know what I was doing. And then I got Why with Hannibal, but it was the only job that I was in the running for. And looking back, I'm like, wow, I was really lucky I got that job because I wasn't even really looking. Someone... Comedy Central really liked me and Comedy Central made me interview for that job, basically. And that's how I got that. I mean, I interviewed for it and I got it. I don't even think I pitched very much, <laughs> you know, like I didn't pitch very much. But I learned later that a good interview in a good writer's room for a writer's room interview, like you should be pitching. You should tell the whoever's talking to you how you envision the show, you know, so <laughs> a lot of <laughs> a lot of fake it till you make it indeed yeah and yeah. Uh, and looking back at those interviews and uh going from one gig to the next yeah. do you have any tips or advice for people in that intermediate period yeah. looking for that next gig so that was the thing that i wish again that i had talked to someone about if i had known better if, if i knew what to even ask like i didn't even know what i didn't know and Basically, you are the CEO of your writing career. And that eight months that I was unemployed, if I was smart like I am now, or if I knew what to do like I do now, I would have been writing every day. I would have been writing. I would have always had ideas that I was developing, ideas that were ready to either be pitched or I would be working on another web series. Um, I was writing the second season of my web series So I did do that, but 
you should just always have things that you are pitching. You should be busier when you're not in a writer's room than when you are in a writer's room. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you should be so busy writing and performing. If you are a performer, if you're a writer, you should have things that you are developing. You should have ideas that you're developing. If there's a short film that you're writing, you should just be creating work for yourself. As far as like meeting people, I mean, getting hired, like, your agents really do do the most of that. And at this point with the WGA issues that are going on, your manager and you are doing it. I've had four interviews for since. Uh, so my job literally just ended on Friday. My writer's room just ended yesterday. And I've had four interviews. I would say three of them were from people that like me and people that knew me and, and wanted to bring me in for something. And one of them was something that I didn't know the person. So it's not necessarily that you need to know people, but particularly in this WGA standoff with our agents, it has been really helpful having people vouch for you. But I'm also at a different level now. So it's not like I'm a new baby writer. But at the same time, even when I was a baby writer, I had a web series that people really liked. And that was my calling card. So you should be doing things that speak for you. You know, you should be writing things and making things that speak for you that make people want to work with you. So speaking of that, why did you decide to create a web series and how that come about? I decided to create a web series after I saw Awkward Black Girl. Uh, Awkward Black Girl came out and I had wanted to do one, but I was like, it's not good enough. It's not funny it's not whatever and then i saw that and i was like if she could do it i can do it (laughs) like that really was what it was like i think the web series era like it was a bunch there were a bunch of web series at the time that i really loved and this was only five years ago and they were brand new at the time like web series was brand new and it was something that there just wasn't anything like it on TV. There was this one web series, I can't even remember the name, and I'm so mad at myself, I can't remember the name, but it was about this like gay 20-something in New York, and it was excellent. And there's this new one on YouTube, The Brief and Wondrous Life of Caleb Gallo, that I love, and it's excellent. Like, I wanted to do it because I wanted to say something, and I, I wanted my voice out there. I wanted to make something. I think I have a lot of entrepreneurial kind of like, I like to have control over my things, over my life, essentially, you know, because I think essentially it's about that. It's about this feeling of control over my life, not necessarily control over a project, but it translates there, you know, like if I have control over this project, then I have control over my life and it feels really good and really powerful. And I put a lot of work into it and I was super proud of how it came out. Um, and I, and I, I loved every moment of it. So I think if you want to make something, make it. And I will say that I made one before clench and release. My web series called clench and release. And I made one before that called funny girl and it was really bad and I never <laughs> released it. <laughs> so I, again, failure is, is important and useful and I failed plenty. And uh, how did you end up producing and financing clench and release? So I made clinch and release, I think for $2,500. I just <laughs> asked my roommates if I could just be late on rent <laughs> one month. <laughs> and I, I produced it. I, I think we did it over like three Saturdays over three months. So like, you know, whenever we could, <laughs> like whenever we could, I would like get my money together. I would get everyone's schedule together. We shot it like that. 
the first one was really bare bones. And the director that I worked with, uh, Rakesh, was really great. I had wanted to do a Kickstarter at the time for it because I didn't have, I was so broke. And he really encouraged me to use my own money and not do a Kickstarter. And I actually think it was really smart. <laughs> I think that was a really good idea to not go that way. Because a lot of the projects that I had seen on Kickstarter, sometimes you don't ever see the product, uh, which is weird. <laughs> so, so we just made it for what I could make it for. And that was it. And then the second season, uh, the director that I worked with, JJ Adler, she's awesome. JJ invested in the second season. That's how we produced that one. And what do you feel you learned from making a web series that you could take into TV writing or potentially running your own show eventually? Yeah, I think um, the thing that happens when you get into television is a lot of other hands get into your project. That Too Many Cooks sketch on, um, what was it? What was it on? Was it Adult Swim? Adult yeah, it was Swim. Adult Swim, yeah. yeah comes to mind (laughs) (laughs) too many cooks way too many cooks get into the mix and you start to question your own your own ideas you start to question whether or not they're good you start to look to other people for approval because essentially you do need them to give you the show and it's honestly one of the things that i dislike the most about television is not having complete control like you know obviously everyone (laughs) like i don't know who likes to answer to anyone for their own project something that they it's in their own head but i learned i think i definitely learned to follow my taste and my gut because it's just like if you didn't like my taste then you should have someone else make it if you're having me make it this is what i would like and i think that this is something that like especially as a woman like i'm uh constantly um what is the word gaslit i'm <laughs> constantly gaslit and made to feel like i'm being demanding or or there or there are a lot of stories about very demanding people on set directors and creators and i i think that this industry breeds that or at least they pervert it to make it look like these people are being unreasonable but the truth is you have to fight tooth and nail constantly because you're constantly being there's constant pushback even though it's your project everybody has a say from your manager to your age for some insane reason your manager and your agent who are not creatives are not like they are they attach themselves as producers and now all of a sudden they have creative say for some reason it's super annoying (laughs) and i i mean whatever that's how the place works so far but it does make you have to be like no (laughs) like this is how i want to do it You do have to become someone who, and you don't have to be rude about it when you do it. You can do it in a very diplomatic way. And, and there's, there's also room, of course, for other people's opinions. It's always good to have other eyes on it. But I do think there are too many eyes, you know, like Mm. you'll have, so you'll have your representatives for some insane reason. (laughs) And then you'll have the studio and the network and you'll have like whoever else is working on the show. Like there are just a hundred people. who you have to wait for notes on and for, for to for things to move. It's one of the reasons why, you know, TV all but sealed its demise, you know, with how slow it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the slowest process in the world. And I think doing a web series, I honestly miss the web series because there's only one note and it's mine <laughs> and that's it. So it's like, 
I truly would rather just do my own thing a lot of the time. Such as TV. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, looking at the writers' rooms of shows like Kimmy Schmidt, People of Earth, Ghosted, and now Hoops, can you speak to the different ways that you guys have broken stories? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you do it? Is it uh, a lot of blue skying versus episode mm -hmm. building? Mm -hmm. Is it cards, board? What is that process in all those different rooms? Mm -hmm. It's really mostly that. It's like, I've seen it done one way. <laughs> like I, The first few weeks of the show are, maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's four weeks if you have a lot of time, which is much less likely nowadays. These shorter seasons. Kimmy Schmidt, I think we blue skied for, I, I feel like, a month. <laughs> I feel like we blue skied for weeks. These last few shows that I've been on, two weeks, you know, max, we're blue skying. After that, we're starting to break story. We're starting to, like, plot out a season. We're starting to talk about character arcs. It ranges, I think, as far as, like, do you start with character arcs? I think that's, that's like, a showrunner preference. Are you starting with story ideas? Are you starting with character? I personally like to start with character. I think it's a better way to go. And then you get, I think, like, the more macro is the episode ideas. When you start with the episode and then get to character, you miss things. Characters, missteps, like, we don't get to see them grow as much. I don't know how the Big Mouth room works, but I really like Big Mouth. And I think it's because it feels like, the, like, from watching it, it feels like each character has a story arc. And they started from there. But I don't know. <laughs> but you can tell when you're watching a show if you can watch each character and they each get kind of an arc. And sometimes shows don't do that. And that's because the, sh the episode wasn't broken that way. You know, it was broken in a different way. But I, I love, I think characters are always the heart of the show. And when you start with character, it's, it, it shows. When we get a writer from Big Mouth, we'll report back. <laughs> yeah, please tell me. <laughs> How do you balance that serialization with the kind of episodic nature of what's expected from comedy sometimes when you're writing? How do you balance serialized nature with the episodic nature of what's expected from comedy? For some reason, that's like a complicated question in my head. I think that you just do your best. You just, I, I mean, each show does it differently, but I do think that there are easy ways to do it. And I think especially because... Honestly, the more I learn about script writing, the more it's just engineering. It is just a puzzle. It's just like, here are the pieces and this is how I want to put them together. And you can put them together in any way you want. But I do think that with the way that television is right now, like people engaging in immersing themselves in one world for like, let's say for a week, you watch one show and you watch every episode in a week. I think that lends itself to a certain kind of story, it's storytelling. It lends itself to serialized storytelling and it lends itself less to episodic. It like, I don't care as much about something that doesn't have a narrative, you know, or like um, a, a serialized narrative. Like I want to see a journey, you know, because I'm watching it for a week or whatever, or over the course of a few months. So I do think even though you can balance it, tastes are dictating that things be serialized. Uh, so have you had the opportunity to go and get to be a writer on set on any of the shows you've been working on? And how was that? Um, I have. I got to be on set for Why With Hannibal and for Ghosted. 
People of Earth actually wrote, we wrote it in LA and it's shot in Canada and there wasn't budget to send writers to Canada. So, <laughs> so we didn't get to be on set for that, <laughs> but I did get to be on set for my episode on Ghosted and that was super intense. <laughs> it was super, uh, it was my first network show. It was for Fox and networks are, it's just more intense. You know, I was working with people that were really good at their jobs. Uh, Paul Lieberstein was our showrunner at the time and... I was so nervous. I was really nervous, but I was just pitching jokes on set. And I was giving my notes after scenes. It was really intimidating to me. There's a lot of people on set. You're talking to like Adam Scott. You're literally like interrupting Adam Scott (laughs) with your, uh, hey, here's a joke. Uh, (laughs) Or you're like interrupting Craig Robinson or like, like that's the kind of, so it was kind of intimidating to me, but I'm so glad I had those experiences because it's not as intimidating anymore. It, It becomes routine. It becomes, it's still very exciting, but it becomes very much like I, you've become better at it. (laughs) Like it was my first few times and like anything, the first few times I was very nervous, but it's really cool. And it's really, um, it's really fun because it's, again, it's like improv. It's just playing, it's playing to the top of your intelligence. It's like, what would be the funniest thing that he could say right now? Not censoring yourself, just saying the first thing that comes to mind, being okay with it not being good or funny. Sometimes, I mean, you don't have to be funny every single time. Like the funny comes out of, trying and failing. So you've worked now on a network show, a cable show, and uh, an OTT show. Can you speak to the differences dealing on the network side with all those different uh, players, whether it's uh, Fox, TBS, Netflix? Um, I haven't had much difference, man. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, oh, it's all, it, it really depends on if the show is outside studio bought by a network, you know, so then you need studio notes and network notes. If it's an outside production company bought by a network, it's the same thing. (laughs) It's like, I've never worked on a show that had one owner, you know, like getting rad. That was Adam Scott's production company. He did ghosted. So both notes, (laughs) like you got Fox owns, um, hoops, and the show that I w- just worked on and, and Netflix is the network. And so, but again, <laughs> both notes, like, I think probably, w- no, I I, f- I was going to say, like, I think Kimmy Schmidt, but then like, a- originally Kimmy Schmidt was on NBC and then it went to Netflix. So like, it's always been the same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you also had the chance to be involved in editing any of your episodes or sitting in the edit room? I have not been in an edit room, but we have been shown edits. I think Ghosted was the show. Also, People of Earth. Actually, a lot of times, and on Hoops, I, like a lot of times, like I think the 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 shows, the better shows, use their writers as helpers. You know, like when you have a showrunner trying to do everything by themselves, including being the final look on edits, it can be really hard. And for the most part, I think that a lot of the showrunners have used the writer's room to watch playback, to watch um, auditions. A lot of times we're watching auditions and and we all just react. Either that person is funny and, and it was a funny audition and it doesn't even have to be funny necessarily, but if it's a comedy, it helps if, if that person is funny. So yeah, you you really, depending on the show, you can be involved f- for a lot of it, you know, from from auditions to set to edits. Yeah. So Hoops is an animated series, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How have you found the difference between writing for live action and animation? 
honestly not very different. <laughs> I like, and, and a lot of the people in the writer's room with me, it was also their first animated show. And we were all very surprised at how little, uh, the, how little the difference was like, and it made me, I have an idea for an animated show that I've been bouncing around in my head for a little while. And I was a little bit intimidated because I was like, this is going to be very different. And it was like, nope, <laughs> like this mm-hmm. was story. It's still story. It's still character. I mean, you can do whatever because it's animated. Like you can put them at the top of a mountain and a spaceship picks them up. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, you could do that with live action too. <laughs> but like, I'm just, there are much less limits to your imagination, but Otherwise, it's still story. It's still character. And you already spoke to this before, but is there anything you wish you knew when you started out that you would tell your younger self in terms of the industry or writing? I think I would just tell myself that it's still just you. (laughs) Like I would tell myself that I'm funny and that I'm great and that I can do it. That's truly it. That's really like, I think the thing that I was trying to say before is that you can get really bogged down by the competition, by how many people there are, by the jobs you didn't get, by your script not being, you know, in a festival or in a competition or be produced. Like you can develop something and it doesn't go anywhere. And you can, you know, really start to compare yourself. And I think this is something that I've found the most valuable to me to answer that question and the previous question about like what's helped me come up, it's been keeping my eyes on my own paper. It's been focusing on myself and my own development as a human being, (laughs) because you as a human being are the one who is shepherding these ideas. You're the one that is typing out this script. You're the one that is going up in front of people if you're a performer and performing in front of them. And if you don't take care of yourself and your own mental peace and well-being, which can really be jarred by other people, by rejection, by failure, you know, like it's really about you and how you treat yourself through this process because it can feel very personal. Like when someone rejects your script, you know, but it's like, it's not about you. It's like, there's a ton of people that they're looking at. It's not personal. It's you and how you personally react to these failures and to these shortcomings or whatever. Like if I had you know, taking every failure very personally, I wouldn't have started reading a script every day. I wouldn't have started writing every day. Like, and I started doing it because I was just like, I personally want to get better. This is not about other people. It's not about me competing with another writer or another comedian. It's about my journey as a comic. It's about my journey as a performer, as an artist, as someone who cares and is invested in myself and in my work. And it's just like, that's it. (laughs) Like, keep your eyes on your own paper, do your own thing. Like, love yourself, be yourself because no one else is you. Literally, it sounds so lame, but truly no one else is you. And that is why you're the one that has your name on it, you know? So be yourself. What are your long-term career goals? What do you see yourself doing ideally? Oh, I want to take over. (laughs) I want to take over the world. Yeah. (laughs) Pinky in the brain watched it so much when I was a kid. Um, What do you want to do tonight, Pinky? The same thing I want to do every night. Try to take over the world. (laughs) Truly, that is literally what I want to do. I would like to write a feature. I would like to develop a show and get it on television or on streaming probably streaming (laughs) i would Mm -hmm. like to i think i would like to write a book i have a lot of things that i would like to do 
and they're all on my goals list and I'm working on them actively and I'll do them. (laughs) (laughs) To be continued. Yeah. All right. Before we go, we have a few final questions. Number one, what are you watching on TV right now? I'm so late. I'm watching The Sopranos and The Office. (laughs) Those are, it's 20, I don't know when, it doesn't matter the date, but it's 2019 and I'm watching those two shows back to back right now. And they're excellent. (laughs) Throwback to I only watched The American Office like this year. Okay, cool. That makes me feel better. I have not watched The British Office, even though I'm a giant fan of Ricky Gervais. And I love extras, but I just have not watched The British Office, so it's, I got to watch it. It's a very different show. It is yeah. a very different show. I've watched the pilot, but I I don't even know. You know what? I'm going to find it after I watch The American <laughs> Office. Yeah. I mean, you've already given so much great advice, but do you have any final advice for TV writers before we go? I would say that do not wait for any kind of representation. These people are a lot of t- the time, they can be gatekeepers that are more and more, you know, I don't know if they were... Like, it's always good to have support and to have someone advocating for you and someone knocking on doors for you, but you should be the one doing it always, even if you do have those people. So don't wait. Uh, I, I feel like I hear a lot of people being like, how do you get an agent? How do you get a manager? And it's like, how do you get a script together? Why don't you get a script together <laughs> and get your own stuff together and knock on your own doors? Because the truth is, even after you have them, you still have to do it. And uh, lastly, do you have any resources for our listeners, whether it's uh, books, films, podcasts, courses, websites, apps, anything you can think of? One of the best things that I've started to do was read scripts every day. And you can Google scripts or you can buy scripts on Amazon. I bought a book of Seinfeld scripts on Amazon. Like I would say if you do anything, read a script a day. If you can't read one every day, read one a week. If you can't do that, then I don't know why you (laughs) want to be a writer. (laughs) But reading is a lot of the times free. And it's like reading a script a day has 100% made me a better script writer. If you want to be a script writer, if that's what you want to do. It's easy and you have no excuse not to do it. Excellent. Well, uh, before we go, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get exclusive content, opportunities, and uh, we can keep producing a great show for you every week. So thanks to our listeners for tuning in and thanks to Shella for joining us. Bye. And uh, you can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash one for one, 141 episodes. Uh, And uh, as always, I'm on Twitter at TV calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. And where can our listeners find you? Charla Larson across all platforms. Excellent. And uh, where can we find your album when it's coming out too? It's going to be on Spotify and iTunes. I'm releasing it through 800 pound gorilla. Cool. Yeah. Is it a, an eponymous album? Is it uh, what the title does it have? Oh, it's going to be called Karate. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Awesome. Uh, and uh, we'll link uh, all the links in the show notes as always. And uh, if you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to be doing an episode all about how to take feedback on your writing and your projects. I give that a nine out of 10. I hate that. Well, I maybe I should listen to the next week's episode. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll see you next week. See you then.